that, that, that here at Community Grace, we'd be able to build a community from all cultures where Christ is king. And we know that the end of days, that will be a reality, but, but, but I believe God's calling us, all of us, to see like our churches to become more and more like that reality. But how does that happen? How is that accomplished? Well, two weeks ago, we talked about a truth that transforms lives. In other words, as individuals and corporately, every time we gather, we open up this book. And this book is all about Jesus. And as we get into this book, we, 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 we allow this book to transform and change us. We allow the Jesus that this book speaks of to change us and transform us. That's why the church gathers around the Word. The, the, the Word of God is what uh, creates and accomplishes that end goal. Now, that's not the only distinctive. We talked last week about a community that displays Christ. And... and um, it's not only that the word, not only that we proclaim God's word, whether we're at work or at home or on our, on our, in our neighborhood or in the context of when we gather, but, but the way we love one another ought to display Jesus. Jesus said, uh, they will know you are my disciples by, by your love for one another. And so we, we unpacked that last week. But, but thirdly, and that's where we're land today, is how will we accomplish this vision? How does this vision get accomplished? Well, it's accomplished through a prayer that cries, your kingdom come. A prayer that cries, your kingdom come. In the book of uh, Revelation, the very last letter, the very last book, the very last chapter, the second last verse, we read these words. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And John's reply is, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Now, I like the King James's um, translation slightly better because I think it captures um, the desire of John. And so he replies in the King James, Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. Do you hear the, the, the desire, the angst? John, exiled to an island for preaching the good news about Jesus, he has just seen this grand vision of a great turmoil, great suffering, great pain for the people of God throughout the book. And in this, this picture in Revelation, you see this great judgment on the enemies of Christ. And John has just also seen glorious glimpses of joy, life, and eternal res, uh, rest in the presence of Jesus. So he's had this, in some ways, a disturbing nightmare, but in some ways, an incredibly beautiful nightmare while he's an exile on this island for preaching the good news of Jesus. And Jesus concludes that vision with this statement, surely I am coming soon. And John goes, amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And my question today, as I walk through this sermon, 
is do you and I long for, do you and I hunger, do you and I desire, do you and I cannot wait? Are we a people that are in the, in the calendars of our minds crossing off the days till we get there? Are we um, praying for, crying out, Lord, would you come, would your kingdom come? Jesus taught us to pray. Jemima read it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in Matthew, but Matthew 6, but he taught us to pray, your kingdom come. He taught us to pray like that. And do we? Let me pray. Lord, as we walk through this journey of what, it, what your kingdom is about, what it looks like, uh, um, Lord, would you create in us a desire, a hunger, a thirst for your kingdom to come? Would that be our heart's cry? And Lord, would you graciously, as we pray that together, separately, corporately, constantly, continuously, persevering in that prayer, Lord, would you graciously create, build such a church here, across the city, across this great country, and Lord, literally around the world, for your glory and because of your mercy. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So what is this kingdom of God? If we're to pray something, and for its coming, we ought to know what it is we're praying for. So how would you answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? Now let me warn you up front, uh, in one 30-minute message, maybe that's hopeful, in one in one thirty minute message, we're, we're we're probably not going to exhaust this theme, and you're not going to walk out of here with a fully orbed understanding of this beautiful expression. But I hope what happens today is your appetite is wet. I hope what happens today is that you'll begin a lifelong discovery, a hunger, and a thirst, and a desire from the kingdom and the King. That's my prayer. Okay. Let's begin with the words of Jesus. Jesus talked a great deal about the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that expression is found over and over and over again. He starts his ministry with repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We're just going to look at one of the things that he says. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. If you know where it is, go ahead and look for it. Otherwise, just listen. Jesus said, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, Jesus doesn't say that the kingdom of God is a tree, but it's like a tree. So if you are like me and you have you struggle with pictures and word pictures and all that kind of stuff, uh, sometimes we, we 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 take things too literally. He's not saying that, but he's saying this is a, this this is a picture. The, the the tree is a picture of this kingdom. I'm saying that more for me than for you. So what's this picture? The kingdom of God has this humble beginnings. Small beginnings, tiny beginnings. It's like a, it's like a mustard seed. I, um, I've uh, had the privilege to plant canola, huge fields of canola 
And, and the, 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 I've been told that the mustard seed is much like a canola seed. It's very, it's just a little, the canola seed is just a tiny little black speck. Now the mustard seed will grow, the, grow to a tree of about 8 to 10 feet big. But, but it has these humble beginnings, but it has this great con- all-consuming end. And, and, and the tree brings incredible amount of life. Notice he says, it has grown and is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. That's where the birds are birthed. There's life because of this tree. There's life because of this kingdom. There's life, but it began so small. Jesus is not saying everything about the kingdom in this, in this parable, but he's saying some things. And I think we need to hear what he says. This, this tree imagery we find throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. The book of Daniel, written probably not long before um, the, um, the story of Esther. But in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel and his comrades, they are exiled. They have been cast out of their, their, their country because of they had disobeyed the Lord. And, and now they were in Babylon, and Daniel and a few others had ro- risen to a place of prominence, and Daniel was now in the presence of the king and was interpreting dreams for the king. And so Daniel chapter 4, uh, we have one of those dreams being interpret- interpreted. Daniel chapter 4, verse 20. Daniel says to the king, The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its great and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived it is you o king who have grown and become strong your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth and because the king saw a watcher a holy one come down from heaven and say in Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet like the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he dreams of this great big tree that all the world sees. Daniel says that tree is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're this tree. You've risen to a great heights and power. Your kingdom is quite, quite expansive. And so this tree is a picture of dominion and power. But under that tree, there's all kinds of life. But Daniel says that a holy one is coming to cut the tree down, and it, all it's going to be left is a stump. And so Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be cut down. You're going to be driven, and that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He goes mad. He's driven for seven years out into the, into the wilderness. Until 
he knows that there is another king called the Most High. <laughs> That's actually the one who's, who's given him, Nebuchadnezzar, this kingdom that has made him this king. And so in this picture of this tree, a tree that uh, symbolizes power and, and might and sovereignty, uh, there's also this understanding that there is a greater king than even this Nebuchadnezzar. And, and I think Jesus, when he's painting the pictures of the, the mustard seed and the tree and the mustard seed, he has this in mind. Certainly those around him do. Well, that's not the only tree we find in the Old Testament. In the book of Psalms, King David writes a psalm. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In this picture of a tree, it seems to speak of an individual. But the individual, David's talking about himself, but I think he talks to all of us and speaks to all of us. Ultimately, he speaks about Christ. But, but King David says, I, I, my roots go deep because I... Because I'm planted by the water. What's the water? The book. The, the truth that transforms. I'm planted by that, that, by that river that feeds me, and, 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 and I grow strong, and, and, and there's a sense of permanence because I'm being fed. Life, David says, is found in the presence of God's book. And King David finds life. It's this same King David is told in Second Samuel chapter Second Samuel chapter seven that he will be a king and that his his kingdom will last forever. Somebody will be on his throne for eternity. And David is humbled by that. His seed, his offspring shall sit on that throne forever. First, you might think it's going to be Solomon, and then you think, well, maybe it's successive kings, but a problem arises. Eventually, Daniel and his comrades are parked in Babylon, and there is no king sitting on the throne. Isaiah actually predicts this, Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And, and, and Isaiah is speaking of a time when, when, when the kings of David will be no more. They will be like Nebuchadnezzar. They'll be cut off like a stump and they'll be dead. But they won't be dead because a shoot will start coming up. And that shoot will actually be a result of the root that fed King David. You following? You tracking this imagery of a tree? It's, it's all throughout the scripture. The New Testament tells us that shoot from the stump of Jesse is none other than Jesus himself. The language of tree is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Tree of life. What's happening in the Garden of Eden? God is present. God is there, and there's this tree of life. 
And what do they do? What happens? They're driven, they're driven from the presence of God and they're driven from the tree of life in chapter 3 because they sin. A tree of life pokes its head out again in the final book of the Bible, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb the through, through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Oh, this tree shows up again and again it's bringing life but remember where this tree is, this tree is planted by the water, and where's the water coming? It's flowing from the very throne, from the very presence of God. The kingdom of God is this eternal, this future place where, where we dwell with the Lord, where God is present, where life is found, where healing is found in, to the nations. When, when we pray that, that God would graciously build a church where all cultures would worship Jesus as king, we're praying that this peace will happen, even begin to happen now. But if you're like me, this concept of kingdom of God is difficult again to grasp. And if that's where you're at, and you've heard all this stuff and going, okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to some of these things, but I'm not really grasping it, you're in good company because the disciples of Jesus struggled as well. Let's summarize up to this point. I'm going to pick on a couple of Goldsworthy and Shriner, a couple of their thoughts um, on the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is about a king's power. So you have this picture of the tree and it speaks of the power and, and dominion and might. God is a ruler. He's a king. The kingdom has a king. The kingdom of God is about the king's people. Uh, a king is no good without a people. And even in these pictures, you have the nations or you have the birds uh, hovering in the, in, in, in the tree and, and, and there's life. But the kingdom has the king's people. The kingdom of God is about a king's place. It's not just some random, you know, subjective, uh, phys like, there, there is a place. We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth, but there's also a place down here. David, while on earth, as he's rooted in the word and as he's submitting to this book, he's growing his roots deep and he's standing strong while the, the unrighteous are like chaff that blow away in the wind. And so there's a king, there's a, there's a people, and there's a place. But, but the kingdom of God is also about the king's presence. It's not that he's just this great ruler that we have to fear, but he's also a kind ruler that, we, that he's, he dwells with us. The beauty of the, the, the garden was God walked with them. The wonder of, the, the, of, of eternity is that we will dwell in the presence of, of, of God himself. The Lamb will be on the throne. We'll be there with Him. We will see Him face to face, the Scriptures tell us. The kingdom of God, a king's power, a king's people, a king's place, and a king's presence. 
Now, I've already mentioned that Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. But what's really odd is after the Gospels, that phrase, the kingdom of God, it's found, but it's, it's, it's not that common. Even in the book of Acts. And so some suggest, well, that, that was, Jesus talked that way, but then the, the disciples kind of ditched that thing and they wanted to be more engaging with their new uh, Gentile people that they're speaking to. But I think what we're going to find is the language of the kingdom may be scarce, but the idea of the kingdom is always bubbling just below the surface of the rest of the New Testament. Let me show you. Book of Acts. The kingdom of God, that phrase is, is actually quite rare, but it is found. If you've got the book of Acts open, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, you have Jesus still on the earth, and he's presented himself alive to them, that's his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So what's Jesus doing while he's after his resurrection and before he ascends into heaven? He's hanging out with his disciples at, a at different times, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now in verse 6, just before his ascension, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and the disciples there are, are still got this picture of a political kingdom where Jesus will sit on a literal throne in Jerusalem and, and, and the, the Romans will be pushed out. And, and, and he says, is this the time? Now, if you go to the very last chapter of the book of Acts, remember, the book of Acts is the story of the church expanding and growing and flourishing. The very last chapter of the book of Acts, you have the Apostle Paul, who is in prison. He has some freedoms in prison in Rome, but he's, what's he doing? The last two verses. Verse 30 and 31 of Acts 28, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. What was he doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What's striking, though, is in between those 28, chapter 1 and chapter 28, you see this phrase, if, if, I, did, if I did my looking accurately, four times only. And, and, and the book of Acts is, is about their going-ons and their teachings, and why do you see it so rarely? Well, it's there. I'll give you one, Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas are going back through some cities where they had already proclaimed the gospel, and we're told that they're going from Lystra to Iconium to Antioch, verse 22, 14, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So it speaks of the kingdom of God as something future, and it is only going to happen through great suffering. But hang with me. Remember the story of Jesus, where Jesus talked about the parable of the mustard seed? Tiny, tiny beginnings. Just seeing if you were awake back then. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
just before Jesus ascends, what does he say to his disciples? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the book of Acts then almost, almost unfolds in that geographical way. The gospel is pre- preached in Jerusalem, then it's pre- preached in Judea, then it comes to Samaria, and then it gets to the ends of the earth. So finally we see Paul at the heart of the empire in Rome, ready to preach the gospel to probably Nero at the time. The gospel is spread. The, 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 uh, the, the, the phrase that actually appears over and over and over again in the book of Acts is, and the word increased. The word was increasing. Jesus talks about a seed. What's that seed? That seed is this book, this message about Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Please, please say yes. I'll have to start all over again. Throughout the book of Acts, you have great suffering. You have little congregations. Every one of them is weak and insignificant when compared to Rome. Some of them more so. The church in Athens looked like it was almost nothing. The church in Ephesus looked like it was actually something significant. The church in Jerusalem was significant, but it was persecuted and was scattered. The people who lived during that time period would have been like, what's going on? Like, this doesn't look right. What's going on? Why does Paul have to go back and encourage them and tell them to to endure? And why does he have to say that, that the kingdom of God will be entered through much suffering? Because that's what was going on. People were packing it in, quitting. Those things were happening. But what else was happening? The word was increasing. word was transforming lives. Little communities of faith were sprouting at Iconium and Lystra and Athens, Berea, Thessalonica. These little communities were just starting to pop up and crop up, and they had problems. They had struggles. Paul would have to go back. Paul would send people back. Paul would write letters back, almost encouraging them to carry on, to keep on, correct some issues and problems. But the kingdom of God was growing. It was advancing. The word increased. Throughout this book of Acts, there's a people of the king growing everywhere. There's places where the king currently resides. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Rome, Jerusalem, Antioch. The king's power and presence is given to the people through the Holy Spirit. Power to proclaim a message, the seed. He'll plant the seed again and again and again. and a presence to comfort them and encourage them and to transform their lives. That's in the book of Acts. And yet, we have the very end. John still cries out, Amen, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He is present already. He's already present at Community Grace. He's here. He's with us. His power has been given to us. 
people of God are here. He is our king. He sits upon a throne. And yet we still cry, amen, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, because there's a longing, because the kingdom, it's here, but it's not yet here. Cancer still raises its ugly head. People are mocked for killing, Je- for, for speaking about Jesus. In some parts of our world, Christians are killed for trusting in Jesus. Hunger continues around the world. Pain is everywhere, even in our great city, even in our little church. There is a lot of pain. So with all creation, we groan, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's, it's, it's my hope that Community of Grace becomes known as a church that prays a great deal for his kingdom to come. It's, it's, it's my prayer that, that we are a people who, who are engaged in proclaiming the gospel with those who don't know the Lord, the people we work with, the people we live next to. We're praying that, 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 that these communities would be, begin to sprout, not just here in Martelouk, but in Tuscany and Seton. That these communities would start popping up more, even more so in Brooks and Red Deer. That these communities of faith where, 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 where the people of God are, are gathering together as a community of the king. Experience the presence of the king and the power of the king that these communities are cropping up literally across our country and and around the globe. We should be praying for his kingdom to come in that way, but we should also be praying for his kingdom to come, that that he will return and that forever we will reside with him. That should be the longing of our heart. That should be the longing of our heart. Not the vacation that's coming, not, 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 not the better job, not... Those types of things, although those aren't those aren't bad things, and we, we look forward to those things, but but ultimately, what is our heart's cry? Is our hunger to taste His kingdom? Is our desire to spend eternity in the presence of the great King? I was thinking of a way to to wrap all this up. And I think this is the most appropriate way again. Because how do we enter this kingdom? There's another truth. A blood-soaked truth. And the message that the disciples proclaimed was not only about a kingdom, but about a king who gave his life on a tree some 2,000 years ago. And it's because of his work on that cross, that we have this incredible hope. Jesus died in our place. He shed his blood on our behalf so that we might have forgiveness. And it's because of this that we can be part of a kingdom and long for a kingdom. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you're welcome to join us around the table. Um, If you're not, I encourage you to talk to somebody and, and ask them, okay, how do I, how, how do I become? How do, how do I, what, what do I need to believe? What do I, I encourage you to do that today. Come and talk to me. Talk to somebody who came with you. But if you're a Christian, you're welcome to join us at the table. Let's pray.
Lord, I love you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. I ask that we'd be a church, a community that would cry out regularly, consistently as individuals and corporately.